Nobody wants to sit in the first three rows. What's up with that? <laughs> Just nosing. And is it something about me? Um, maybe some of you can identify with uh, this memory of mine. Um, on occasion, uh, my father would ask me to work on the car with him. I think there was some part of him that wanted to teach me about how to change the oil or what the different parts of the engine were. But I never actually got under the hood to do anything. My, my dad's idea of teaching me was basically for me to stand about five feet away from the car and he would have the hood up and he'd be under the hood working on something, grumbling and frustrated and all this would come out and interspersed amongst those grunts and mumblings, he would eventually say, hey, can you hand me the whatever? I, I'm like, oh, sure, sure. And it basically had the same effect for me as just like watching paint dry. I mean, I was just, I just relished, I just kind of settled myself into just this kind of bored daydreaming. Um, I never really learned anything about fixing cars and just kind of resigned myself to playing with the screwdriver or whatever it was that he had me do. Um, now, don't get me wrong. My dad was wonderful. He, uh, um, we did many fun things together. We threw the baseball. We shot baskets together. He would take our family skiing. But when it came, uh, when it came to uh, working on anything in the car, um, I just was kind of unessential to that mission completely. Now... Um, Think about it uh, in contrast to this experience. Um, a few weeks ago, I was on vacation, and um, I was down with my sons, and um, I've never taught them anything about auto mechanics, I, except uh, the phone number for who to call. That I've taught them. Um, but I'm with my youngest son, and he's doing some training for volleyball, and so he invites me to do it together with him. And uh, he's kind of telling me where to throw the ball, how to set it for him. Um, and we're just engaging and we're, we're passing, passing games, we're competing with each other. At one point, we're like juggling volleyballs and laughing and screwing around and just had the best time. He got the workout he needed and I got to do it with him. You know what I'm saying? Um, he did all the heavy lifting. It was kind of him doing the work, but we did it together. It was, it was relational. It was life-giving. And I'm wondering something. When we think about our life with God, do we think of it looking more like the first example or more like the second example? You know, probably uh, for many of us, we do things at times where um, we're just kind of like the side mission to somebody else's real mission. You know what I'm saying? Like we're just kind of an appendage to what they're trying to accomplish. Or maybe uh, we go off and do something for somebody but we're never really integrated in doing it with them. And I'm just wondering, is that what our life with God is supposed to look like? Does God just kind of want us to stand on the sidelines, maybe come to church, offer a few simple prayers, but really he's gonna do the whole thing. And we just kind of sat on the sidelines and watch. Or is there a more integrated kind of relational, life-giving way that he wants to do ministry with us? Um, Francis Schaeffer was this American theologian, philosopher, and pastor, and for many years, he was kind of like this prophetic voice to the church. Listen to what he says. The central problem of our age is not liberalism or modernism, nor the old Roman Catholicism or the new Roman Catholicism, nor the threat of communism, nor the, you can kind of tell what era he's writing in, nor the threat of rationalism or monolithic consensus which surrounds us. All these are dangerous, but not the primary threat. The real problem is this. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ, individually and corporately, tending to 
do the Lord's work in the power of the flesh rather than of the spirit. Those phrases, power of the fle- or arm of the flesh or power of the spirit, are kind of ancient biblical words speaking about just doing it on our own strength and ability or not doing it with the Holy Spirit of God. One is with God, and the other one is not with God. It kind of makes me think, too, uh, of the, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus uh, teaches something. He says this during that sermon. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It looks like there are things that we can do like prophesying or doing mighty works and never really do it with God. And to that, he says, I really don't know you. If you do ministry for God, continually you know, trying to impress him, trying to earn favor with God, you will burn out and it won't bear any real eternal fruit. But if you do ministry, serving with God, constantly looking and finding those movements of God that invite you to join with him, you will experience life with God, fullness and abundance. We've been in this series talking about the with God life, and today I want to talk a little bit about what does it look like to do life with God in all the movements and all the ways that we can join him in the things that he is doing. And so for that, I would just, let's just take a second, pause, open ourselves up to the spirit of God, how he may want to speak through us today, speak to us. So just bow your heads and let's pray together. Father, I have to believe um, that you can preach a sermon with you. And conversely, I believe we can probably listen to a sermon with you. And so we just ask, would you help us to be attentive to these subtle movements of your Holy Spirit today? What may you enliven in us? What may you draw us to and call us to do and to be, God? We want to experience the rich, full, abundant life that God has to offer. So come and teach us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys, I am thrilled uh, to be able to share with you a little bit of this. It's something I've just, when the subject came to me, you can see how far down I am on the, on the, the rack here. So you, know, so you got Jay's out, uh, the other guys, the other pastors at the men's retreat, and they're like, well, who else <laughs> can we call? And so, um, but let's learn together, okay? I just, I think it's a great opportunity uh, to, to grow and learn in these things. And so I'm a student, a journeyman with you. Um, if we look at the words of Jesus, I think we can get some help a little bit of what it looks like to do life with God. The book of John has all these wonderful stories of the first 12 chapters about Jesus teaching his disciples who he is, who the Father is, and this intricate way that the two of them work together. These first few chapters are Jesus presenting himself and the disciples are confused. He's creating tension with them. He's asking them things they don't know, they can't figure out. And then when we get to chapters 13 through 17, Those years of Jesus' ministry all come to a slow halt, and those four chapters are just one night in the life of Jesus. And he's got his followers gathered around him, and now he's gonna just give them some some crucial words of how to live life with God once he's gone. These words are intimate. They have an urgency to them, but they are crucial to how we can live life with God. 
In chapter 14, Jesus begins to tell them that he's going to be, leave them, be leaving them, but he has some crucial instruction for them. So read along with me in verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. I think Philip asks a great question. He goes, he wants to know God. And Jesus is saying, hey, when you've seen me, you've actually seen the Father. Jesus is giving them these perfect, beautiful instructions about how life with God is going to look moving forward. And it's going to teach us a little bit about doing things with God. And doing with God begins with knowing God. It begins with knowing God. And so what does it mean for you and I to know God? Earlier in John, uh, Jesus said something interesting about knowing God. He said, my father is always at work. He's always at work to this very day, and I too am working. I think one of the things that's important for us to know is that God is always at work. He is always on the move. We usually think um, that we have to invite him into something that he has no idea. Maybe that he's just kind of like, he's like floating on the cloud or just out there waiting for us to call and let him know something's going on here and he needs to engage with it. I sometimes hear pastors, even worship leaders say, God, come and be with us as if he wasn't already here because he's eternal, moving and working. Jesus is telling his followers that before He's always moving and working before we ever step in to situations. We imagine we have to inform him and just kind of let him know what's going on. But Jesus is saying fundamental to knowing God is already knowing that he is active and moving well before we ever step in to a circumstance. He also says this, very truly, I tell you, the son of God can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing because Whatever the father does, the son does. I think this is another important thing to think about, what it means to know God. It seems like God is the one who makes the first move. He makes the first move to invite us to join him. If you think about our faith, what does scripture say? God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Who made the first move there? God did. We were in a state that couldn't respond to God because of our brokenness and sin, and God responds and moves towards us first. So the key is that Jesus sees what the Father does. I think what, what that tells us is Jesus seemed to live in a very particular kind of way. He, lived, he seemed to be able to live in a way that was alive and awake to God's movement, watching him, noticing him noticing his invitations, and Jesus just kind of followed right along. And so I think for us, our part is noticing and wondering about God and what he's doing, trying to discern, is he inviting you and I to step in and to join him in some kind of way? And you think about it, it's like, why is it so hard for us to notice and discern what God may be doing and moving? And I think many times it's because we live, do we not, in a life full of distractions, Think about even now. Like, what are the kind of things that just pull you away? Are you thinking about the Warriors game? Are you thinking about the, what, what are the things that just cause in us distraction, the constant sense that we need to keep ourselves busy? 
I thought it was interesting. Uh, last week, uh, if you remember Jay and John, they, they taught um, in the morning and the evening, and they said something. Uh, when are those moments where we need God or we don't need God? You remember that? Am I alone? <laughs> Might just scared me for a second. Am I alone in the room? And I think their conclusion was there's never a moment where we don't need God. Somebody said sleeping. Like, well, God keeps the breath in us going. I just There's never a moment where we don't need God. And maybe some of us think, you know, well, unless I get a burning bush like Moses or unless I get some kind of hand, that God really doesn't need me. But I think living like Jesus means watching and noticing those subtle ways God is inviting us to partner with him. You know, there's many examples in Scripture where Jesus invites or God invites people. Think about the, the, the course of history. It's like Noah. What, what happened? God came to him and said, I'm going to judge the world. And he invites Noah in. Abraham, he says something in fact of, I want to create a nation of people. And so he invites Abraham to follow him. And Moses, he says to Moses, I've seen the plight of my people and I'm ready to move and act. And so he comes to Moses and he invites him. And I think that's that's the way he works for us. God is moving and working around us, and then he invites us to step in and to join him. You and, our pe- you and I are people that God wants to do things with. And more than just what God wants us to do, it's how he goes about doing things and how he wants us to do things. Jesus would do all sorts of work in the, in the world, but he worked in a very specific way. The ways of Jesus, right? Humble, loving, patient. Uh, Dallas Willard is somebody we quote a lot. And I heard him say one time, or somebody asked him, what's one word you would use to describe Jesus? One word. Okay. Group participation time. Somebody asks you, what's one word you would use to describe Jesus? What would you say? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Love. God, God, power. Anything else? Truth, beautiful, beautiful. All things I would say. You know what Dallas said? Relaxed. (laughs) Think about it though, relaxed. If you had all power to accomplish anything you wanted to, and you had all wisdom and knowledge to know the best way to accomplish those things, and you had good-hearted motives behind you, why would you ever move in any way other than relaxed? Now, clearly, there's moments in Gethsemane. He's praying, in the, uh, thinking about the, the cross, and uh, sweat like blood drops are coming down. Or he's in the temple, and he's turning tables, right? Those are just momentary responses. But God, Jesus' default was joy and peace. He lived in a relaxed kind of way, and I find that to be so invitational. That is how He informs us to work in a similar way. Maybe one way to help us kind of understand this um, would be this. Uh, Many of you know I studied music in college, and there was a uh, term that they use called sympathetic vibrations. Sympathetic vibrations. Way different than good vibrations. Not that. (laughs) That's a completely different thing. Sympathetic vibrations. Sympathetic vibrations um, are, it's an audio-acoustical dynamic. Basically, if a string vibrates another string in close close proximity of the same tension and uh, 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 width will will move in sympathetic vibration with it. You guys come across this all the time. The band plays up on the stage, a low bass note hits, and you hear the walls kind of rumble a little bit, or you hear some of the glass kind of rumble. 
It's the same with God. He is the first mover, and he invites us to join him, to move in sympathetic vibration with what he looks to do. The only difference is, you and I, we have a choice. Are we going to partner and join with him in what he's doing? So knowing God means that we know that he's always at work, that he is the first mover and inviting us into what he's already doing, but he does it in a certain way, and that invites us to do it humble, loving, relaxed, right? However, unlike sympathetic vibrations, we have a choice of whether we're going to step in and join God in what he's already doing. And so Jesus addresses that. Let's go back to our John passage. It says this, how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the work themselves. You can see I kind of punctuated, believe, 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 believe. He's asking his followers, crucial to being a follower of Jesus and to doing with God, is to believe, is to trust. God is always the one who's at work to join, and he extends to us these invitations to join him in what he's doing. But what it does for us is it causes us a crisis of belief, a crisis of belief. Are we going to step in and partner with God in what he is already doing? You know, when we think of um, obedience, we tend to think that's the first thing that we should be. Just, just obey God, obey God. You know, isn't that what the Bible teaches? Obey God. I think a couple weeks ago in our series, we talked a little bit about listen and obey, listen and obey. But obedience is only possible when faith and trust is there in the one we're called to obey. Why would you ever obey somebody unless you trusted them, unless you believed in them? Unless you believed in their character, unless you believed in their capacity, unless you believed in their track record. So belief is essential to knowing God, super important, and to step out in in faith and trust him. The, The old hymn says what? Trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to, what is first? Trust and then obey. It looks like believing and trusting is the first step. And I like that descriptor, a crisis of faith. I think that's appropriate. To step out in faith means to come face to face with the question that you and I have to answer. Will you trust God? Will you trust God in the ways that he's calling you to join him? Think about all the people I mentioned. Noah, there was a crisis of faith. (laughs) Abraham and Moses. I loved it. Moses gets this, uh, he comes across this burning bush in the desert. And I'm told that that's a very common thing. Burning bushes in the desert happen all the time. The difference is this this bush burned, but it wasn't consumed. And so he's drawn into this conversation with God. And God comes and reveals his plan to Moses. He says, so now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God saw the plight of his Israelites And he engages Moses. And Moses' first response, probably like you and I, it's like, I've got a ton of excuses. Oh, God, Jay would be so much better for this. He would be so much better for this. Or or somebody else. Somebody else is more equipped to do this. And he comes up with all these excuses. And God, you know, he's just patient. 
He's loving and kind to Moses. And as they have this conversation, you see Moses kind of shift. And scripture says this in Exodus 4. Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hands. He was faced with a crisis of belief and chose what? To do what God invited him to do. He stepped into action. And I love that idea of the staff. It's like God's word for you and I. It's reassurance that God is with us as we step in by faith and join him in what he's doing. Not all of God's invitations are a crisis of faith. I mean, I think they have some degree of that. Um, I'll share with you something that happened to me. It's a simple, small thing, but I remember one of the first uh, times that uh, I was trying to be attentive to God's spirit. So um, it was Thanksgiving, and uh, Lisa and I are newly married. My, my oldest son was probably one and some change, something like that. And my in-laws were coming over. So there's a little bit of you know, a little pressure there a little bit. And uh, um, I got this sense. I've watched my dad and some other people when they have Thanksgiving deal to have like a little, little devotional, a little spiritual moment. And I got this little prick in my heart from the Holy Spirit. It's like, yeah, it's your house. You should probably do that. And I'm like, oh, man, Lisa's stepdad was a pastor. So I was like super self-conscious, you know? And so I'm like, okay, well, okay. Are they just gonna roll their eyes, you know? And so I I just felt like I needed to step in it. So we sit down at the table and I engage. And can I share with you? It was worse than I imagined. I, my youngest son is just, he's all over the table. It's a mess. Lisa's getting up and down. I'm like, hey, we should have it. I felt so awkward and so uncomfortable. And they're all kind of like, what are you talking? It was just so unnatural. But I learned a couple things from that. And when I later kind of reflected on that in my misery and realized my job was not to control the outcome. That wasn't my job. My job was to tend to God's invitation to me. And the other thing I learned about it It also reinforced to me a habit of hearing God's invitation and adjusting my life and believing that there was something he was going to do, and I could rest in that. Dallas Willard, again, has just a beautiful line I've been thinking about for the last few months as I've tried to grow in this. He says this, faith isn't opposed to knowledge. It's opposed to sight. It isn't opposed to knowledge. It's not opposed to, to knowing God to knowing some of the facts about situations. What it's supposed to is certainty of sight. That's that's the essence of faith. Matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews says it's impossible. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek after him. It's essential to pleasing God and joining him in his work. So knowing God leads us to listen to those invitations. And as we step into that, it causes in us a crisis of faith. Will we believe? Or will we just like me or Moses come up with tons of excuses? If we though, if we choose to join him in his work, that's the moment we get to experience abundance and life-giving partnership with God. And at that moment, as Jesus teaches them, he's gonna talk, now what does it look like to do with God. He says this in the John passage. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, 
so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. As we believe and make adjustments in our life to join God in the things that he is looking to do, we get to experience as we obey him, and he accomplishes his work through us. This is the part I so long for us to understand as a congregation, because my fear is that we think of our faith as a body of things that we believe that are disconnected from how God wants us to live. That we come to church, that's the, that's the, the segregation of our life with God, but the, how we live it in their daily lives, we, we just don't think about it intersecting in all the things God wants to do in and through us. And there's a couple things that Jesus said in this I think are really amazing. Did you catch the line? You will do even greater things than these. That's a potent line. What Jesus didn't mean is that we were, they're gonna do greater things, more sensational things. What he meant is that we are gonna do greater in magnitude. Jesus' followers would spread his kingdom to more people and more places than he ever did in his life and in his ministry. Think about it. Jesus came at a very specific geographic location He came at a very specific time in history, but for us as followers, we're gonna have exposure and ministry that is gonna go through generation after generation, all different parts of the world. So Jesus says, you will do greater things than these. But he also says this, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. What is that? What an interesting promise. When we are working with God, In cooperation with his Holy Spirit, he will accomplish the things that we pray that are in accordance and alignment with his will. His Holy Spirit will animate and energize us in what's being done. What he's not talking about is you can ask anything you want for health and wealth and happiness. His promise is conditional upon you and I, his followers, willingness to make our request in alignment with the will of God. So what does doing with God look like, right? It starts with knowing God, knowing that the Father is always at work. Think about the different places of your life that you go through in a regular day. God's working, and he makes the first move to invite us to join him in what he's doing. And the ways of Jesus are, they're relaxed, they're humble, they're loving. But when he invites us, you're gonna have this moment where it causes a crisis of faith. Are you going to step out? Are you going to align yourself with what God is already doing? But as you do that, the promise of God, you bring pleasure to him, and you get to experience God working through you mysteriously, powerfully. When we adjust our lives to what he's doing, we get to experience life with God. So let me share a little bit of what that may look like in your life and mine. I loved it. If you caught last week, John uh, told a beautiful story at the end of his teaching about a guy named Bob. And Bob prayed for 45 days. It opened up opportunities for him to be in Uganda, um, releasing political prisoners, and then finally the White House. I mean, just fantastic. That's beautiful. That rarely happens in my life. Probably rarely happens in your life. So... This is a small thing, but let me share a little bit um, how it looked in my life just a few weeks ago. I'm studying this and thinking about it, trying to pay attention to God's invitations in our lives. And so I get, um, Lisa and I were on vacation. We came back um, from Little Rock. That's where her sister lives. 
And uh, she stayed back there, went in another week with her sister, and uh, I got on the plane. And when we had a uh, layover in Dow- or, um, Denver, I get on the plane, and of course, I'm B and C. I'm way in the back of the plane. But when I get on the plane, I notice that the very front row and the very first chair is completely empty. Now, I'm a big guy, so anytime I can get space with my legs to move out, I'm like, so I asked the lady, I said, the two, there's these two older women, I said, is this seat taken? She goes, oh, no, you're welcome to it. I'm like, all right then. So I sit down in it, and we, it immediately engages this fun conversation. They're telling me all about their family and the wedding they're at, and I'm sharing about my family. And then we take off, and we all kind of settle into our reading materials. I'm reading my Kindle, and I look over at the woman next to me, and she, uh, she opens up this Bible study. And part of me is like, well, I should ask her. And then the other part is like, oh, Mark, you were a pastor. You were on vacation. <laughs> certainly, certainly God doesn't expect you to engage. Just, and I kept, so I keep reading. I keep, this little prompting kind of keeps coming over and over in my mind. I'm like, so I finally go, well, I'll just ask her. And I say, oh, uh, I see that you're reading this Bible uh, study thing. And are you a follower of Christ? You go to church. She goes, oh, yeah. And we start talking. And I find out that uh, Steve Clifford married her and her husband. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. And um, then I'm thinking, well, okay, let me just go back to reading. And I just get this little sense from the Holy Spirit. I didn't pray for 45 days. It was so small. But he said, just ask them what their life with God looks like. And so I asked her. And for the next, it was over an hour, I just got this pouring out of deep pain. What the, the, the daughter had just gone through a terrible divorce. Abuse was a part of that. Mother had just lost her husband, who was also abusive. And they just shared all this. And I got this sense. That <laughs> maybe you're like this, but you're like, I got I to say, I got to fix something here. You know, I got to change. And I just got this sense from the Holy Spirit. Just, just shut up. Just be a good listener. And I just listened to them. My only thing I did was just say, oh, God sees that pain. I am so, so sorry. And I tried to just be some sense of comfort. That's my lane. That's a little bit. And I believe God has a lane for you too. I think it's just this beautiful sense. There was really no huge breakthroughs. The White House didn't call me, right? There was no big shifts. But I just got this sense that God had put me in that moment just to be the hands and feet and the ears of Jesus. And I think many times that's how he works for you and I. Just simple, small ways. But what I'm afraid of is that we miss those kind of um, promptings for God to invite us to join him in what he's doing. And we've been giving some practices um, to help. I think the examine's great. Can I give you one that I've been working on? Jay talks about every once in a while. It's called a centering prayer. It's just a breath prayer. What I do, um, my, the recent one I've had is draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Just a simple, and there's a bunch of them on there. And I would invite you to choose, maybe in the morning when you get up, um, and if you read the Bible, or if you even don't have time, but you just want to think of a simple little phrase, Christ died for me. Or there's a simple Lord's Prayer that's basically just, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. And what I find is if I say that, By the way, it's usually the spirit that prompts me to even think about it. But as I say that throughout my day, here's what happens. I start to live a life that's more awake, more attuned, more listening to the voice of God. And then when I sit in the front row of an airplane, 
I get these little promptings. I've been training myself to discern and to notice when God is moving. You guys, this is not rocket science. You can do this. But what happens is distractions get in our way and we don't really pay attention and we kind of live oblivious to God and his work. What I can say is when we step into those moments, oh, there's such richness of doing life with God. I want to just uh, let you see this picture. This is a painting uh, by Jean-Francois Millet. He's a 19th century painter. He paints a lot of peasant uh, living. And I love this. It's on, it's on my phone. It's on the desktop of my laptop. And every time I see it, it reminds me what it could look like in the middle of our days to just pause and notice God's nearness. That feels like doing life with God. And sometimes it, the moment is, doesn't have a lot of going on, but it's just kind of a quieting of my heart and opening and when I see that, I think, yeah, it could probably look like that. I don't think I have to stop. If you're writing code, maybe you just keep writing code. Or if you're teaching or, you know, if you're making dinner with your roommates. But those little moments where you just pause and go, God's presence is here. As we do that habit, as we train ourselves, there's a richness, my friends. There's a richness that comes from that. God seems more a part of our day. And then when we get those invitations to join him. We step in and experience God working in us and God working through us. And I so much hope and desire that you and I grow in that. We grow in that. I want to give you just a few minutes just to kind of reflect. I was, you know, that's part of the examine as you kind of reflect. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you reflect. And so just close your eyes for a minute. You can bring the house lights down a little bit if you want. Just a couple things to think about. As you've heard God's word being read, has it sparked any kind of sense of desire in you to experience him in a new and fresh way? Any sense you've got about that? Just imagine for a second, what would it look like to have a more dynamic connection with God, what would that look like in your life? Is there any place in your daily routine where you'd love to experience more of God's movement and work? Like your job, your parenting? How about your relationships? Or even more personal, what about your character? Does God have any invitations for you along those lines or in those arenas? Father, we are grateful that your desire mysteriously, especially because of our frailty and imperfection, you want to do life with us, that you want to work with us. We get to join and partner with you. What a beautiful thing to consider. God, I pray that you would give us a deep formed belief and faith and trust in you. Those moments where we're uncertain, we feel awkward, you invite us to join you, but we're uncertain of ourselves. Fill us with faith. Fill us with knowledge of who you are, 
how we can trust you. And then God, I pray that you would help us to align ourselves with the things you were looking to do and experience the joy, the freedom, and the excitement of doing life with you. God, we just pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen.